Welcome back to the final edition of our inaugural season of Covered in Glory. I am your co-host, Toby Mergler, and with me is Brett Corominos. How are you doing today, Brett? Oh, the last dance with Toby Mergler this year. Um, I, you know, it's a bittersweet moment. I'm excited to do the pod. I'm sad that the season's going to be over in two days. I guess we got some World Cup qualifiers, but yeah, mixed emotions over here, buddy. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of mixed emotions, obviously everybody who's recording here at the Extra Points Network is doing so with a heavy heart this week after what happened um, a couple hundred miles down the road from me here in Austin. I've got a fourth grader in the Texas public school education system, um, but that doesn't matter. I mean, in a tragedy like this, we're all Americans. Even when it hits home, it hits everywhere. So our thoughts are with the victims. Um, I'm not going to get too much into the politics of it, but let's just say if you go back and listen to Kevin Hench on this week's episode of Minus Three, I was nodding along. Uh, but overall, we're, you're really not here to hear our talks about uh, the senseless tragedy that happened. And I hope that we can find just a little bit of distraction in this sport that we love. So let's all look forward uh, to Saturday. Look forward to you know, having something not other than that to think about for two hours and then make your voices heard after that. Uh, so. I will say, um, Brett, I am feeling a whole lot better than I was last week. I got a little more pep in my step. I got a little more uh, bass in my voice and my health is good, but I'm not over my Premier League fever. I mean, what a way to wrap up the season. Holy hell. Do you remember a Saturday or a championship Sunday that good? Uh, I mean, the Aguero one is probably the one that stands out, obviously, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about things that help you escape from shittiness of the world, man. <laughs> Uh, I mean, last weekend was awesome because it was both both the big races that we talked about, you know, the title race and then the relegation race like came down right to the wire. Um, you know, uh, Cornet scored for Burnley to make things really interesting against Newcastle. And then, you know, that Jack Harrison goal, which was awesome, uh, awesome, awesome moment. You, you know, you can see how much it meant to the team, to the fans, Jesse Marsh, like that, that like that's why you watch the sport. Like that's why anybody who wants things to be a playoff system, like it's a build up the whole season builds to like those moments. And then in five minutes, five minutes, the title race completely turns around. I mean, that, that was wild. I mean, it wasn't the last second Aguero goal, but like, that was something that I don't know if we will ever see that again on a deciding Sunday. Like I just don't even see like how that's possible. They scored Three goals in five minutes to t- completely turn around the title race. Like I, it, I, it, it wasn't was just that they, it wasn't just that the Manchester City killing machine scored three goals. It was Gundawad for God's sake. Yeah. Like it wasn't. They've got billions of dollars of attackers, and Gundawad is the one who wins them the title with two goals in five minutes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the crazy thing is too is like it, you know my curse continues to live because I have trashed Gundawad for being watched both on and off air, and then he's the guy that of course steals it for City. So. As yes. usual, when you go through these bets, if I trash anybody today, immediately just find ways to bet on them. Like, just, I just think, don't even think, just put the money on them. I think Gundogan scored his first goal to lead the comeback at the exact same minute Sun scored his second goal to win the golden boot. Uh, two guys you famously called Wash this year on the podcast. Oh, okay. All right. Let's. The Sun one was more in jest, and then we, we got into that <laughs> one. But yes, Gundogan, I flat out called Washed, and he came through big time in just one of the more, I mean, it's going to be one of the defining matches of probably this century of football. I would, or this decade of football, I would think. Um, I mean, it's just, it's wild. Like I'm, I still can't believe it. You know, 
like exchanging texts with you and all the other soccer buddies during it. It was like, you know, city's really going to do this. Like they're, they're really going to blow this. And then all of a sudden it's just, they're cruising to title. It's, it's still mind blowing to me. Yeah. I can't imagine there's anybody who's actually listening to this right now who falls in this category, but at the end of it, I legitimately felt bad for non uh, football fans like that experience of watching that two hours with the entire league playing at once with so much on the line and Manchester city leading an absolute comeback for the ages and Liverpool going full out because they thought they had the thing won. Uh, And then, you know, it all slipped away in the last 20 minutes and they couldn't do anything about it because they weren't even playing Manchester City at the time. Watching Burnley hurl themselves at the goal over and over and over again in the last five minutes in a complete act of desperation to stay up and to have all of this happening simultaneously is like the smorgasbord of incredible sport. And then to be done at like 1 p.m. and have the rest of your day with the tingles of what you just witnessed. (laughs) God bless football. It is the best best it really is and i mean like the thing i always think about too with with leeds and and burnley kind of duking it out (laughs) to avoid relegation is like just think of that that contrast in other sports you know it's what it's like the magic you know playing whatever terrible other team you want to throw in there the wizards you know at the end of the season the nba like those games don't matter the Jets, the Jets playing the Jaguars, like in week 17, the football season doesn't matter. But here are two bad teams. That game, those both those matches were intense. Like I have nothing invested in either of those teams other than I want to see Jesse Marsh do well. And I am a closet Leeds fan. But like when Rafinha stepped up to take the penalty to put Leeds up in that match, it was very much like the feeling I had wasn't the same but it was very much Landon Donovan, 2010, stepping up, take the penalty, like kind of moment. Right. And these are just two bad teams, but like, that's how much this shit means. And that's why I just, I can't understand anybody that doesn't want to at least give this sport a try. Yeah. I mean, there's no real American sport where 70% of the games on happening at the exact same time. And uh, on one day mean as much as those games did on uh, Sunday, like, there were serious consequences to seven of the 10 games and it would have been eight of the 10 if Chelsea hadn't already locked up third. I mean, it was just incredible. The intensity and the fact that it's all going on at once, it's yeah. just really nothing like it in American sports. So uh, everybody that is listening to the sound of my voice is obviously clearly already on board, but go recreate a friend, go recruit two friends during spread, this all season. Like everybody who's hearing this right now needs to bring somebody into the thing that we love because there is nothing like it. Um, and it's not over. We still have Saturday. Uh, So let us get into a match preview. We have, of course, the Champions League final, uh, the closest thing that football has to a Super Bowl. It's going to be Liverpool versus Real Madrid. It is 3 p.m. on Saturday in Paris. The odds on the match, pool is plus 110. Uh, Real Madrid is plus 245. The draw is plus 260. Those are, of course, regular time odds. Uh, Pool minus half a goal stays at plus 110. Real plus the draw goes to minus 130. Uh, That's with the uh, half goal spread. And then over two and a half goals is minus 130 and the under is plus 105. So, Brett, I mean, obviously we don't have five games to talk about. We just have one. We're going to do this game. We're going to really hammer through it and then we'll take a break. We'll talk about some Premier League futures and all that sort of stuff. But um, we have a little bit of time here. We're going to really explore the studio space today on this one matchup. 
Uh, so before I even dive into the way I kind of see this game, I watch Real in the Champions League and in big La Liga games, but I can't say that I'm watching them week in, week out against, you know, uh, lower level uh, La Liga teams. So I think you have a little bit more of a tactical knowledge of the team and definitely an advantage on your picks today. So why don't you share with your listeners a little bit about how Real plays and what you expect to see from them on on Saturday? Well, I mean, I think the names that are, you know, everybody who, even if you kind of casually follow and hop in and out of Champions League, but mostly focus on the Premier League, you know, you're going to still notice a name like Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. Um, but the the big driving force behind Real and, you know, Toby, I am disappointed that you're not watching them play Osasuna on Saturday mornings. Um, <laughs> but the big driving force behind Real has been Kareem Benzema. And Benzema was kind of, Ronaldo's Robin um, for all the years that Ronaldo was at, at Real Madrid. And this year he has, and, and it shouldn't be happening. Like the, the crazy thing about Benzema is he's 32. You know, we talk all the time about the soccer aging curve being, you know, pretty much you're trending down at 29, 30 already. Um, but Benzema has just defied logic. He has absolutely lit up both La Liga and the champions league. He is assisting everything. He is scoring everything. Uh, it, him and Vinicius Jr. is a young 21 Brazilian winger are basically Madrid at this point. Like that attack flows through them. And then you kind of have the old stalwarts of Luka Modric and Tony Cruz, who's backed up by defensive mid- midfielder and Casemiro. Um, you know, they brought David Alba <clears throat> over from Bayern Munich, who's another name that maybe casual fans might mention because he's been on a bunch of very good teams. Um, and so this, this team is basically spearheaded by these by two monstrous attacking seasons. Benzema completely defying the age curve and then Vinicius Jr. kind of ascending into his prime. Um, and those two guys are going to cause problems for Liverpool. Like Benzema has 44 goals and 14 assists across all competitions this year. So you are talking about a guy quite literally having one of the best seasons ever in soccer history. And this dude was an afterthought with Ronaldo. And, you know, here he is in a final, um, you know, he's got some legal stuff that we shouldn't be like going overboard, praising the dude. He's not exactly a saint because he blackmailed a teammate, but he's on an incredible run. And he's been on it. He is the real Madrid is not in this final without Benzema absolutely going bonkers in the group stages. Like that is kind of the thing they got to walk away with. Another reason to love soccer, uh, name another sport where you say things like the best player in the world currently has some legal issues for blackmailing a teammate. This is things that happen in our uh, in our beautiful game. Uh, so I got to say, I got some biases here. Um, I hate Thibaut Courtois for the way he lo- left Chelsea. Um, and I just never root for that dude. But there's some concerning things about Liverpool in this match. Uh, Real Madrid wrapped up La Liga so long ago that they've you know been able to fully cycle through their players, and they're about as rested as they could possibly be all season. And of course, Liverpool has had to go pedal to the metal. I mean, forever because uh, since they they played every possible match they could play this year, they played in every cup final. They had to play down to the very last day of the Premier League, and they have some injury concerns. I mean, as of the time we're taping this Thursday night. I think it is unknown whether arguably their second most key player, maybe third, Salah, Van Dyke, but uh, Thiago is going to be able to go. And you talk on the show all the time, Brett, that if Thiago is not in that midfield, the player slider takes full of force and Liverpool's a different team. I'm not saying they're a bad team, but they are a different team than when he is playing 
Uh, and then Fabinho's banged up too. And so, like, if Fabinho and Thiago are not 100% and can't give it a full go, that completely changes the way this match is going to uh, to flow. I mean, Luka Modric, at, is, he's also defying the age curve. Uh, he kind of beat Chelsea at the very end, almost single-handedly, with one of the best assists that you'll ever see. He can absolutely use his experience to uh, dictate the midfield play. Tony Cruz, who you mentioned, another old hand, can definitely use his legs uh, maybe one last time since – They've had 30 days off to really get through this. I mean, like a lot of Real Madrid's players are kind of like guys who used to be starters, but are now closers. Like when John Smoltz moved from starter to closer, he couldn't throw a hundred or 98 for nine innings anymore, but he could do it for one. And uh, I think we're going to see the one out of the Real Madrid midfield. So it's really hard to handicap this game on a Thursday night and without knowing if those two players are going to be available. So what are your thoughts on Liverpool's midfield availability? Do you think we're going to see those guys? And how does it affect the way you're about to give your picks? I mean, it's like you hit it right in the head. And, you know, I feel really good about us. You know, props to us. Let's pat ourselves in the back here for talking about the Liverpool midfield constantly throughout the year. And just how much it changes the team. And, you know, the the, the interesting, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. If, if one of Thiago and Fabinho can't go, it's clearly going to influence how you should bet this match. And I have notes against every one of my bets that it's it, you're going to hear a lot of unless he's out <laughs> or unless yeah. he, if he's playing. Um, and the it's interesting because, too, because Madrid has also kind of survived with like this bench mob thing that I've heard being tossed around. Um, but I mean, if you haven't gone back and watched how they got to the final, um, but you're listening to this podcast, uh, please go back and watch what happened, how they got past city. You should do that to yourself. Um, but yeah. they bring off two, there's two players in particular that they bring off the, the bench that really help them. And one is Rodrigo, another young Brazilian forward. He's the one that actually scored the goals that propelled them into extra time. And then Benzema's penalty, obviously won it for him there. Um, but the other one is Eduardo Camavinga. And uh, Camavinga is probably 19, right? Yeah. 19, 19 years old. So Camavinga is one of the best young players in the world, but soccer has this problem. And in, in particular, and, and I'll throw this name out. You remember Isco? <laughs> remember when he was oh, yeah. like the man um, and yeah. then he went to Madrid and just disappeared for years. Yep. Um, so Madrid in particular and yeah. soccer has this problem where like sometimes a lot of the best players don't play. So like to put this in perspective, Luis Diaz, who came over to Liverpool um, in the January transfer window has played just as many minutes as Camavinga has played for Real Madrid. And Camavinga is legitimately good. This kid is going to be one of the next great midfielders. Obviously there's a little bit of a problem because he's parked behind Cruz and Modric who are legends. Um, you know, Casemiro has been the six for Madrid for years, um, but he comes off the bench and he changes games. He, he presses well. He carries the ball up the pitch. Like he's a stud and Rodrigo's another really good attacker. And he brings on a dynamic too, because typically with the way Madrid set up is they have uh Frederico Valverde, who's kind of like a midfielder ish, uh, but they played him as like a defensive winger, you know, in the Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho kind of mold. Um, and so usually Rodrigo comes in for Valverde and that's like a huge, defensive forward coming off for like a true attacker coming on kind of thing. And the biggest thing about Liverpool's injuries, when you think about that is like, if Thiago's out or limited, then Navi Keita starts, but then it's like Curtis Jones and James Milner are the guys that are coming into the Liverpool midfield. And like what Milner is doing is amazing, 
But like, do you really want him playing in a Champions League final? Like Curtis Jones, I've not been, if you want to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Curtis Jones, I've uh, compared seriously to Ross Barkley. <laughs> and so Toby and I have experience with Ross Barkley, so we can tell you that that is not a good thing. Um, hey, scored the last goal of the Abramovich era. That's what I'll remember <laughs> Ross Barkley there you for. Go. <laughs> you, you at least have some fond memories. I mean, I, there's some goals that Ross had for Everton that were pretty good. Um, but the, but that's going to be a really interesting dynamic. It's like Madrid is going to bring on some guys that are legitimately going to impact the game as subs. And when you start peeling away midfielders from Liverpool, it's going to change the way that their subs impact games, right? Because Kenny, not Kenny Keita can come on and he can change the, them into a more attacking team. And they, or they could do something where they straight up put like Firmino on if Diaz starts or Jota on if Diaz starts. And then they can just have Thiago and Fabinho act as two holding midfielders and give like nothing up while putting another one of the best attackers in the world onto the pitch. So like all those things go away. That's huge. And, and it's really made me change my mind. I think Madrid in general, the way they've been so opportunistic and like not being very good up to this point, but that's still being great and like high leverage moments has been impressive. But I kind of was thinking like this, this is going to be a walk for Liverpool. Like Madrid's overrated and they, you know, they have run hot on their underlying numbers and Ben's, Benzema alone is run hot, but like Thiago is what makes Liverpool like a city beating title machine. If he's not there, you were just looking at a different team. Still a very yeah. good one. Still one very much capable of beating Madrid in this final, but like not the same one. Yeah. So Champions League finals famously have featured some uh, real lineup surprises. Uh, so, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti, I'm not expecting to do anything strange. By the way, Carlo Ancelotti is who Frank Lampard has on his vision board, who he wants to grow into. It's just <laughs> a great man manager that may, you know, tactically rolls guys uh, out there. Tactical, who knows, but it just goes from like the best team in the world to the best team of the world to the best team of the world and collects trophies. So I think uh, that's what Frank aspires to be. Uh, I don't expect any surprises out of him. Um and I don't know who's going to start up a Klopp, uh, for Klopp. You keep saying, is it going to be Diaz? Is it going to be Fermano? Is it going to be Jota? So are you expecting, are you reading, like you're deeper into the soccer uh, analytics and, and the Twitter sphere and the bloggers and all that than I am. Are you expecting Klopp or Ancelotti to do anything unusual in their starting lineup? No, I think Madrid is going to come out in the same 4-3-3 that they have been. Um, <clears throat> I, I think part of it is they're going to have to because part of what Valverde is out there for is that defensive cover. Um, I mean, Danny Carvajal has been exposed. The right back for Madrid has been exposed in pretty crucial one-on-one -on -one moments in some matches. And Valverde is just kind of like a hardworking, you know, midfielder winger type. So I don't really see them changing anything. Um, there's no way that like, I mean, I, there's an argument that he should, but there's no way that like Cruz or Modric is going to start this game on the bench. Like that's just not happening. Probably same with Casemiro. Like that's just like their guy. Like he's going to go with his workhorses that got him here. Um but yeah, Liverpool is going to be the interesting one. Um, you know, there, uh, there. I think there's an argument to be made when you look at the importance of the first goal in soccer. That if Thiago can't go, um, I'm guessing that Klopp is going to play it safe and Naby Keita is going to be in the midfield in this place. But like, there's probably an argument for Firmino and just going four two three one and just four two three one. You can do. Yeah. Um, but my guess oh, is that'd that be like awesome. It would oh, be, great. be so awesome. It would be great. I, it would definitely open up the match and we would probably be looking less at like, 
a one, one, you know, one Oh type of outcome to more like two, two, three, two. Um, would Monty play up top of that formation or would Salah play up top of that formation? Uh, Firmino would probably play as like a 10. Monty would probably play as a striker. I think Diaz has pretty much made himself the clear cut, like third member. Like it, it is, I think no matter what, we will see Diaz, Mane, and Salah. I think it's going to be, if Diago's healthy, if his cap is ready, and Fabino's healthy, it's going to be those two and Hendo in the midfield. And then obviously their normal back line, although the back line might be another change. Like we could see Konate on there instead of Matip because Konate is a freak and he covers a ton of ground. And Vinicius Jr. is going to have a lot of one-on-one opportunities against Trent Alexander-Arnold, who isn't, you know, he gets like a terrible, oh. you know how like he gets a terrible rap? Like he's not a turnstile. He's not a traffic cone out there for Vinicius to run at. But like, yeah, you probably want someone a little more athletic slotted alongside him. So yeah. there'll be like little stuff like that. And I think Klopp will probably back pocket going with like four of his attackers. So I think that'll be like if they're a down 1-0, if they're down 2-1, I think you're going to see like four of their five unbelievable attackers out there. Um, but I, I don't really, I don't really think there's going to be too many surprises. I think it's going to be dictated a hundred percent by the availability of Thiago and Fabinho. Like that's Alexander, Alexander Arnold might not be a traffic cone, but he might be that droid in the last star Wars, which was horrible. <laughs> that was shaped like a traffic cone on top of a wheel and just kind of wandered around aimlessly. So he has mobility and he could be mistaken for a traffic cone, but he could definitely move around in a random pattern. I'll give him that. I mean, look, I'm not trying to say that like he shuts down a whole flank at all. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have lots of Vinicius junior bets coming up. So <laughs> there there's going to yeah. be, there's going to be some plays over the fact that like, you know, it, it's, it's just going to be one of those fun things. Like uh, this is what I love about like teams that just like know what they're good at and just go after it. Like Klopp isn't going to play like a defensive winger to help out T- Trent Alexander Arnold on the, on the right side of the junior. Like he's just going to let, he's just going to play the game of like, my guy's going to create more than your guy, you know? And I love yeah. that. Like, I love that setup. Like th- this isn't going to be Mourinho ball where they're going to set up and like, basically play like four defensive midfielders on the right side of the pitch to like help them out. This is going to be straight. Like Klopp is going to start his guys. Ancelotti is going to start his guys and they're going to go toe to toe. And I'm really looking forward to this match because of that. There's a lot of props in this game because it kind of is like the Super Bowl and it's the last meaningful game of the year. So I'm really going to go all out and um, taking some action on this game. And I have a feeling you probably are too. So, but once I hear all the props that you like, I'm probably going to know who you're picking for the game and vice versa. So why don't we go ahead and give out who you like for the game? All right. So I went back and forth on this a ton. This has been, uh, I think this is one of the harder ones to think, uh, to, to think through and try to come to a conclusion I feel good about. But I finally landed on taking Madrid at plus 150 with the draw no bet because of the fact that both Fabinho and Thiago have muscular injuries. So even if they play, there is still a chance they come off. It, like there is a good chance that Thiago could try to start because it's a Champions League final and his calf goes 15 minutes in. And then not only does Klopp lose the sub, but then we get to that slightly weaker, definitely more exposed Liverpool lineup. So I just think that this there's a huge range of outcomes. And at that point where this game is one, one or maybe two, two. And I like that you're getting plus money. Then if there's going to be a deciding outcome, it's going to be Madrid. This is so freaking annoying. I want to delete and start over 
and go hard on Liverpool just so I can be counter to you. Because what I have in my notes is almost exactly what you just said. It's <laughs> like it's like our minds have synced up over the period. Much, yeah, this is crazy. Um, the only difference I have is just a matter of betting value. Uh, I had the exact same thought process that if those two guys were healthy, I'd be banging Liverpool, you know, no problem whatsoever. I don't know what the odds would be if those guys were healthy, but even if they were minus 120, minus 130, I'd probably be back in Liverpool at that point. Uh, and if they both start and they both go the full 90, like I would love to uh, get this out of the archive and make those guys my picks. Um, but given the Thiago and given the Fabinho injuries and given Real's attacking firepower and their knowledge and their experience and all those sort of great things, I do not trust the Liverpool middle midfield without those guys. And the Liverpool middle midfield is, uh, one of the things that makes them specials, particularly Thiago. Uh, but I'm going all the way just because of the math, right? Like if you, once you have that line of thinking, you, you more or less have three choices. One is to take them and the draw at minus 130. One is to take Real and the draw no bet at plus 150. And one is just to take Real outright at plus 245. Uh, and I'm just going to go all the way uh, because if Thiago and Fabinho don't play, I think this is maybe not an exact coin flip, but 55-45, 60-40 one way or the other. And you're getting great numbers. You're getting plus 245 on your return for something that's close to even without those two key cogs at full strength. So I definitely looked at the draw no bet at the plus 150, but the extra kind of 100 points here, when I think that Real has the firepower to make this not close and put the draw in play is where I'm putting my money. On Thursday night, lineups come out on Saturday morning. I uh, might <laughs> be placing a different bet. Story. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. look I, like uh, to kind of echo what you said, if Thiago and Fabinho are healthy, to me, this would bring in a whole different line. I think you could start looking at Liverpool clean sheet to- uh, bets. I think you can start looking at unders in terms of the total goals. It, it's just those two are so huge in ways that just stats don't tell. Um, and I, I yeah. just think that that is... It's just going to be a huge. It's going to be a huge thing whether those guys are going to be at peak performance to how the outcome of this match goes. And more often than not, I mean, this is very back of the napkin math. We got two guys with muscular injuries in a high leverage game. Chances of both of them making it through and being phenomenally effective and at the peak of their game are very is very very small in my mind. So, but that's, it just changes the whole range of what you're looking at to bet. Yeah. And it's terrifying thinking of Jordan Henderson out there without Fabinho and Thiago with Vinicius, like running down on him and also trying to cover for Trent Alexander-Arnold. Like, how are they going to dictate play at all in the center of the pitch in that scenario? Like, Real's just going to have an opportunity to overload some of their less stellar defensive players and uh, completely dictate the match on that side of the field. Yeah, and we can we talked about too, or when I brought it up earlier, and you're kind of having me give the Madrid preview. There are some bench players on Madrid that are going to change the that are going to impact this this match as well. And in, in Camavinga's case, it's going to be with pressing. It's going to be from the the heart of the midfield, winning balls back, moving the ball up, getting into dangerous spots, like bringing energy late in the match. Like James Milner isn't doing that. Curtis Jones, <laughs> the maybe Ross Barkney heir apparent, is also not doing those things. Like, you know, Harvey Elliott looked great, but then he broke his leg and hasn't played all year. So, like, 
there's a ton of unknowns that are going to be that could be coming off the bench and playing key roles all of a sudden for Liverpool. Where Madrid, like they have it down, they just they have what they're going to do. They have there's there's definitely a lot of power in coming into this match, just knowing exactly what you're going to do. And Liverpool, they got a question. They have question marks. So I think we should do the show slightly differently, Brett. Why no. don't we do our five pint now? Uh, right. Because that'll help us get through our favorite props. And then after we do the five pint, we could do some of our honorable mentions, the other stuff that we considered. And I'll pick my favorite honorable mention of yours and you can pick your favorite of mine. How's right. that sound? Um, that's good with me, man. All right. So because I, f- I felt like I absolutely had to have action on the overall result, I am going to put one pint on Real plus 245, um, although it's the least favorite of my five bets. The other ones I think are just a little bit more predictable and go into the pattern of play that you and I are, are discussing. Uh, one, uh, Kareem Benzema to get two shots on target is plus 165. He averages over two shots <laughs> on target every a, single game. You son of a bitch. Oh, you, you got that one in yours as well? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, good for you because you're leading the five pine, actually. I guess I should give the results. You are up two after Manchester United uh, took a crap on the beautiful game of soccer by not trying their best and getting beat by Crystal Palace, which both of us predicted, but you were smart enough to back. Uh, so that puts you up two for the month of May going into this final five pint. Important, pro, uh, important note, I'm up 11.5 pints on the year and Brett is up 8.5 pints on the year. So both of us could get washed in this last five pint. We can go over 10 and we still have a positive on the year. So congrats to us. Let's I will drink it. to that and Let's do I will it. drink your beer next week. I, well, here's my water right now for it. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So it sounds like we both really love Benzema. Two shots on target. He averages over two. Uh, every game this year. He also averages over two just in the Champions League. He's going to be the focal point. Like if they overrun the midfield, as some of us are thinking about, that's the guy they're going to be looking to feed. And nobody is more in form in front of the net in the entire world right now than Kareem Benzema. So the fact that you're getting like not just like even odds, but you're getting all the way up to plus 165 for something that's kind of the expected result was crazy to me. So there's a reason I put that one down first. Um, Similarly, uh, the two guys that I'm most confident in this game will be out of their mind attacking are Benzema and Salah. Uh, Salah looking to revenge 2018 when he had to come off an injury in this very same matchup in the Champions League final. And I expect him to really be giving a, a crazy hair on fire effort. And both of those guys to only get one shot on target is almost even money. It's only minus 120. So those are the two guys that I'm most confident will play. I don't need to wait for the lineup to come out. I'm most confident that they're going to be focal points and giving maximum effort. Not that anybody's going to be giving minimal effort in a Champions League final, but these guys have particularly a lot to prove with Benzema going for the Ballon d'Or and and uh, Salah, you know, trying to revenge uh, 2018. So I love that number for them both to get shots on target. Uh, before I give my my last two, why don't you give a couple, Brett? All right. Well, again, everything comes with a disclaimer of. Watch the starting 11s. So if my boy Navi Keita does crack the starting 11 because Thiago is out or can't start, I actually like, and this is going to be my kind of sleeper pick here. He does not shoot the ball well. <laughs> Navi <Keita's laughs> thing is not at kicking the ball well towards goal. But yeah. he averages almost two shots a game, and he basically plays as a 10 for Liverpool. Um, so he's going to get shots. So it's just a matter of whether one of his 1.75 shots per 90 somehow finds the goal frame <laughs> or goes in the back of the net. 
but he he's going to get that shot off. He's he's going to get maybe one to two, and he's plus one seventy five. So really, you're just going to wonder if you're going to take this bet. It's just all dependent on the accuracy of whether he can hit the fucking goal frame from anywhere around the box or, or closer to it. So that's actually going to be one of my kind of you know ones that I I don't think a lot of people are going to be betting, um, but I do like it. And then you can all watch as he just scuffs the ground before he hits the ball and it just trickles meekly to the touchline. Um, I can't tell you how much I hate that one. <laughs> I, I, well, it's again, it's not exciting to bet on how he hated us to have a shot on target, but I just think the value is there for it. You know, my, spread, yeah, my spreadsheets, Toby, it's my spreadsheets. They sure. Tell me they, they talk to me. Um, but the other one is, this, I mean, this is a Toby special. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two clients on this and I'm going to bet it the Toby way. Um, but Vinicius Jr. is plus 165 to score and he's plus 450 to assist. And mm. he is going to be incredibly influential. I thought he did pretty well against Kyle Walker and Kyle Walker's whole shit these days under Pep, as we've talked about on the show, is to shut down counters, to shut down that side of the field and Vinny did well against him. You know, he wasn't, didn't dominate him, but he definitely tired about it. He definitely won his fair share of duels. And I'm going to put a pie on each one of those because I think he's going, if there's a goal or two by Madrid, he is going to be the guy that's involved in creating it. Maybe you won't, maybe you'll, you'll get unlucky and he won't get directly get the assist, but he's going to dribble the ball in the dangerous area. He might play the final pass or he might be the guy that actually scores it. So I'm going to put a pie on each one of those. Okay. Is that five? The shot, Benzema shots on targets, the last one? Well, well, I mean, the, the last one, two would be the Benzema shot on target and then the over of 3.5. If there's no Thiago, even in the 18, if he's not in the 18 at all, over 3.5 at plus 190. This is wild. I don't think we've had an overlap in the five, five pint like literally all year, and we have two uh, in the Champions League final. Uh, I also am taking the over of 3.5 goals. The this Real team um, has gone through just hell to reach the Champions League final, and they had to go through PSG, Chelsea, and Manchester City in the knockout round. So uh, now they're playing Liverpool. They're ranked six in the world on 538 SPI, and they are playing four of the five above them. It's pretty wild. Uh, the only one they missed was Bayern. And these games have been the most entertaining crap that you're watching all year in soccer. Like they are wide open matches with tons of goals. And with the expected absences in the Liverpool midfield, I fully expect them to be the ones who dictating play. And when they dictate play, it is cocaine football chaos out there uh, with goals flying all over the pitch. So I looked at both the over of 2.5 and the 3.5. And the odds are just so much better on the 3.5. Over 2.5 goals is minus 130. Uh, over 3.5 goals is all the way up to plus 190. And Brett, take a guess. <clears throat> well, once I, once I make you guess, you're probably going to know the answer. But in the last 14 finals, how many games have ended with exactly three goals? The only thing that would win you on 2.5 and lose you on 3.5. Zero? I don't know. <laughs> it's only been one. Only been it's one. only been right. one. So I made one in the last 14 Champions League final that landed exactly on three. So getting such better numbers and the only number you have to worry about is three. Uh, I'm taking the over 3.5 instead of the over 2.5 and now watch the game end 2-1. We'll put it in the bag and lock <laughs> it. Um, 
My last five pint is for similar reasons that I was just talking about with Real dictating the game and expecting goals. Uh, both teams to score. Yes is minus 165. So in the last three Champions League finals, this bet would have lost, but it would have hit in the eight before that. And the last three are, are one involved like the Chelsea Manchester City, you know, defensive masterclass, even though he didn't play a defensive midfielder in Pep uh, last year. Then you have the like no crowd strike it from the record books. Basically never happened. Byron PSG final. Um, and for so for the, the large part, like the goals happen in the Champions League final. Like it's not like even FA Cup finals or a lot of the like semifinal matches that we have seen where it's like one oh grind them out games. For whatever reason, these have been very open and full of a lot of um, balls in the back of the net. So minus, I thought I'd have to pay more of a of VIG than minus 165, but I think it came down because the last three it would have lost. And Real, since I think they're going to dictate play, it's important in their six knockout games against the aforementioned, you know, three of the five best teams in the world, five of the last five of those six games, both teams scored. So I like the number I'm getting on this one. I thought I was going to have to pay a lot more. Yeah, and I mean, the, the other thing to remember, too, is that both these teams, if they need to chase goals, are very capable of doing it. Like, Rodrigo is coming off the bench for Madrid, most likely, and, you know, you have Firmina and Jota that are going to come off the bench uh, for Liverpool. And, like, those are all really, really good attackers that are going to, you know, help the increase the chances of scoring throughout the match. So, if you have, you know, a, a tie match where one team feels like they can try to steal it before going uh, to penalties, then you're going to see these subs that they're going to get real aggressive. If one team is down to one or uh, it's or one Oh, like you're still going to have chances. There could be, this could be a game with the way that these subs are going to work. This could be a match where there are two or three goals, like in the last 10, 15 minutes of the match. Like it is very possible that that is the outcome here. So, all right. It'll be interesting to see, but I, I do think that this game could be uh, kind of the thing that breaks these European finals curse here. Yeah, I I mean, I'm expecting an extremely entertaining two hours of footy on Saturday afternoon. Uh, all right, let's run quickly through honorable mentions. I mean, we just did a heck of a preview on it. Uh, that was a lot of gambling talk for the Champions League final. You should be almost fully satiated, but let's go ahead and give you your final dessert here. So do you want to give me your honorable mentions, the other things you consider for five pint before you pick two that I picked, you copy and bastard? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I kind of like, um, for the assist totals, there's a couple that stood out. Um, Valverde at plus 550. Um, he is going to be playing as a winger, and he is playing across from two really good attackers. Um, so I think there's going to be opportunities there, um, especially with the way that, that Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold like get up the pitch and can get caught up the pitch. Uh, there is a chance that he could play the final ball that goes in there. You know, obviously his numbers are going to be a little bit skewed because he's played kind of all over for Madrid. Um, so if you look strictly at it, it's like his expected goals and assist totals, it's probably not going to tell the whole story. Um, it, you know, it's going to, just basically be he's playing an attacking position. He's the third attacker and Liverpool has fullbacks that get up the pitch and are going to leave gaps. And if Thiago is not there to close the gaps, greater chance of that happening. Um, and then speaking of Andy Robertson, his movement, I think is going to be more effective in creating better chances than Trent Alexander Arnold. So, you know, when you look at their possibility for assist, uh, Robertson's at plus 300 and, and Alexander Arnold's at plus 250. 
Um, and I think they're both equally likely to probably create a big chance in this match. Uh, obviously in different ways. Uh, Robertson's going to be the guy that's going to play a one, two cut into the box and then play kind of a cut back across like the six yard box. And Alexander Arnold's going to just play some crazy ball over the top. I just don't see this being a match where Alexander Arnold's going to have a ton of chances to just sit and play balls over the top because a, if Thiago's there, they're not going to be able to control the game as well. Um, and B, I think this might be just a little more up and down. And that definitely suits like a Robert Robertson style player because he will motor down the fucking pitch overlap or cut into the box and then be able to play a cutback. Um, so I really liked him at plus 300. I just kind of couldn't pull the trigger. Um, and then the both teams score. I like that bet as well. Uh, and then the final one, it's a little boring because the pricing isn't great. Uh, it's minus 125. But again, it's all Vinicius Jr., baby. Minus 125 for a single shot on target. He already averages shot on target. We've talked about the matchup between him and Trent Alexander-Arnold, the one-on-ones. Very, very likely he does some cool shifty shit and gets a shot off and puts it right on the goal frame. Um, So I like that one. Just the pricing wasn't super sexy, so I kind of faded away from it. All right. My favorite one is Vinicius Jr. at the end, uh, although TA is also on my list. So I'm going to give more picks, but less analysis just so we can move this along. But I do like the Vinicius Jr. one quite a bit. Uh, TA assist is on my page, um, not because of the reasons that you were talking about, but just because I think he's going to handle set pieces. And this absolutely feels like a goal that could leak uh, or a game that could leak a goal from a set piece and could be decisive. I mean, we've seen that in a lot of Champions League finals where it comes down to that. Uh, Modric plus 500 to get an assist. I just like the number, and I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to play really incisive, uh, smart balls over the top and see who can run onto them. And also, just, you know, he's kind of a big game player throughout uh, at least his 30s. I can't even remember his 20s. They were so far long ago. Uh, Real to score first plus 115. Just if, if, uh, Thiago and Fabinho aren't out there, then I, I do definitely like them to score first. And even if they are, I expect Real to start more on their front foot and really prod and test those guys to see where their health's at. Uh, tie, tie. So tie at the half, tie at the end of the half. I just like the number. It's plus 475. If you like the draw, I like the draw in both places because I think it, it could easily be 0 0 or 1 1 at the half. And then if you like the draw at plus whatever it was, 260. I'd rather get the plus 500 for the uh, tie at, at the end of both periods in regulation. Um, Real over a goal and a half is plus 160. Real over two and a half is plus 550. If you really think they're going to get loose out there, those are both really good numbers. Uh, Benzema to score in the second half, plus 300. It's been his specialty in this Champions League run. Really dramatic late game win, uh, goals that change the entire landscape of, of the outcome. He's just done it over and over again. So I like that number. Um, crazy one, Salah to score in the first 15 plus 1,000. Just again, a huge number for a guy who's going to come out with his hair on fire. Uh, and then let's see here. Just at the very end here, mm-hmm. pool to win from behind plus 700. If you think Real might score first, but you still like pool overall in the match, plus 700 is a hell of a number. Um, total corners over oh, nine and yeah. a half. I was going to say, waiting for total corners, but I, My, knew that, I knew that was coming. Minus 120. Uh, strangely, though, in these crazy Champions League games Real has been playing, that bet has hit less than half the time. So I actually think it's the right number and why it's not in the five pint. I thought when I looked back at those games, there are a lot more corners, but just a lot of goal action. Uh, and then the final three um, 
Courtois to take a card plus 1,000. If you think he might get one for time wasting at the end of the game. Uh, Allison plus 1,200 to take a card. If you think he might get one for time wasting at the end of the game. This is kind of like when you bet the Super Bowl MVP and you don't want to take a quarterback. Uh, just if you think you know the outcome of the game and you want to get like a pretty awesome number, both of those guys could easily take a time-wasting card if they're trying to lock up a one-goal victory. Uh, and the very last one, and my favorite of, of these, and the one that almost made it in, was Jordan Henderson to take a card at plus 400. You really think that there's a one-in-five chance that he's not going to grab Vinicius Jr. from behind as he runs past him? I love this bet. I love him basically tackling Vinicius Jr. as he is just sprinting down the sideline blowing past TAA and Henderson has to take a professional foul to, uh, to stop a break that he creates. Cause he is a one man juggernaut when it comes to blowing past guys out on the wing and creating advantageous opportunities versus the keeper. So that was a lot. Do you have a favorite among those? Uh, I, I'm no, it's more of the one that I didn't hear. And that was Eden Hazard uh, last score at plus eight fifty. Where was that on your list? I didn't, did I miss it? Did I you, I don't know. I think he took Esco's locker and disappeared right into it, just like he did. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, I think most of those are those are solid. Uh, the one I actually wanted to throw out too, and I, I, I think this is like this is one where you want to take this bet, and then you are going to talk shit to your friends for the rest of your betting career. You can never win another bet, but it'll seem brilliant. Rodrigo is plus 1100 to score and there is the opportunity for him to come in as a sub and subs do score goals at higher rates than starters. It's statistically proven. He's plus 1100. That would be a bet that you make and you hit it. You are just, you can talk shit for the rest of your life betting life. You can lose thousands of dollars. You can lose your fucking house. But when you take a sub to score as the last scorer and hit it, you're just immune. You can lose your house. You can lose a five pine pickoff. I mean, whatever you want. Like you would be beating me on this year if you didn't take so many damn fullbacks to score anytime goals. That's right. It's, it's uh, the so, long game. We talked about this variance. I'm going to keep taking center backs to score, and next year I'm going to hit like three of them. I'm going to be up like 50 pints within the first two months. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, if all you want to hear is something about the Champions League, then we just talked about as long as the first half's going to last. So you're welcome. Uh, you can leave us here, but if you are interested in hearing a little bit about Premier League futures as we head into the summer, stay with us after this break. Cool. Uh, welcome back. We have now are going to look past Saturday and into the murky future that is August of 2022 when the Premier League kicks off again. Uh, we're going to look just briefly at some future odds, talk a little bit about the summer, and then we'll get you out of here to uh, get fully hyped for Saturday's matchup. So, Brett, uh, I pulled up the odds that are available, and the winner is clearly still a two-man race. Like Manchester City is minus 165, Liverpool is plus 200, and then you tell me if you find any other team interested. Is there any other team beyond the big two that are even worth talking about ahead of next year's season. I will say this, and this is not sucking up to you because you signed my checks. Um, I am interested to see because of what Todd Bully did with the Dodgers to see what Chelsea, how they approach their transfer windows. Um, obviously with the sale just becoming final, there's no way that the pieces and the infrastructure is going to be in place for this type of window immediately. Um, but going forward, 
this is going to be interesting. I know you loved your Abramovich era, but they're going to get leaner, but they could also get smarter because Abramovich threw money at things. There wasn't a big, I mean, obviously the managers were a carousel, uh, but now they're locked into a really good manager. They could come in with a great underlying process like City and Liverpool have. I would be curious. I don't think this is the summer we're going to see it, but I think that Chelsea might start doing some really smart shit and they already have some really good pieces. I don't think it'll be long until this is a three-way race. Um, yeah. Yeah. If we had, you know, 23, 24 odds up, I don't think Chelsea's going to be plus 1400 like they are for next season. I think yeah. they are going to be able to close the gap, but there's just, there's too much shuffling happening right now after this crazy season and having to replace the entire back line when uh, the back line is kind of the very heart of the success Tuchel's had so far at Chelsea. I just don't think they're going to be able to embed quick enough to uh, mount a like full campaign to win the Premier League. Now, them in the Champions League, them in some of the other knockout tournaments where they can just, you know, feast on some of the lower teams just to make it to the final rounds and have four or five months to come together defensively before they have to face like the, the most urgent challengers. Those I like, but in terms of like a 38 game campaign that kicks off early August with probably four new defenders and maybe more and still trying to figure out this Lukaku mess up top. I just don't think they're going to be able to pull it together for next year. Yeah, I, I agree. And and again, I think Spurs are going to be good. I think they're going to be the clear fourth best team. And I have that, plus 110 odds for Spurs on my radar right there for that. Um, but, I mean, they, the Spurs would have to hit a couple of massive home runs in the spending spree under Conte. And I don't, I, I like Kostic, one of the uh, wingbacks they're looking at from Frankfurt who just won Europa League. But, I mean, they're going to have to nail a true star. And Kuliszewski coming back helps, but they need a midfielder. They probably need some better center backs. Like, they need to hit on a wingback. They need to probably hit on a fourth attacker for depth reasons. Um, so there would be a lot that would need to go right for Spurs to to jump into the conversation. But, you know, Conte is incredible and they played pretty well. So they hit on a few things. They could be interesting at least. Yeah, well, at the very top, City and Pool. I mean, like one reason it's always foolish to bet this early is there's usually a really heavy international schedule over the summer. I mean, this would typically be when uh, there was a World Cup to be played. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of injuries come out of those international tournaments because you take guys who are extremely overworked and then you throw them into international games where they want to properly represent their country. And a lot of guys pick up knocks that cause them to miss the first month or two of the season, which completely shifts a title race when it's waged over 38 games and not just decided at the very end in like a playoff format. Mm -hmm. um, but are you expecting anything to happen in this offseason, whether it be signings or anything that will materially change the way you think about City and Liverpool? No, I mean, well, basically the two transformational players have already found landing spots. Mbappe went back to PSG and Alonso at City. So we kind of know, like, we're two of the best players that would be moving in this transfer window are already going to go. Um so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, Liverpool seems like they have some things up their sleeve. I'm sure they're going to – they have a very smart, um, you know, front office that's going to be behind their player recruitment this summer. There's going to be – they're going to snake somebody that's going to help them, uh, probably in the midfield, because they probably can't count on this much Thiago going forward. Um, so they're going to need to find somebody really dynamic and explosive if Harvey Elliott isn't ready and Curtis Jones really is Ross Barkley. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, uh, things could change, 
I just, it's hard to say um, at, at this point, obviously, because rumors are just going to be everywhere because agents are trying to get their players everywhere. Um, but, I, but I do think with Holland and Mbappe kind of settled into their destinations, there probably aren't too many landscape shifting things that will happen at this point. As a Chelsea fan, I'd be most upset if Jude Bellingham signed with Liverpool. I mean, that is just like an embarrassment of riches continuing to flow through that place. And I'm, I'm half expecting it to happen. Yeah. I mean, again, that one's kind of been the worst kept secret for a while, but I mean, we don't know when the date of that is going to be, you know, are there really, I mean, it's the other thing, soccer finances and are so weird. We don't know when release costs is going to be triggered and how much they are. Like if, you know, Liverpool basically bought, uh, or Nabi Keita a whole year before he actually came to the team because of the release clause. So there's all that kind of stuff that goes into it. And, and even with Bellingham, like he'll be great, but like, it's kind of like a real Madrid situation with him. And he'll play a lot, but they still have Hendo, Thiago and Fabinho are probably still going to be the first choice midfield. So does he really move the needle? Like Holland is going to do for city in more tangible ways. I don't think so. Yeah. The Holland thing's really interesting. So my advice for anybody who uh, cares to have it, and I hope you do, if you're still listening to this show is don't bet this right now. Uh, because if you like Manchester City, you've got to see how Holland embeds before you actually get good odds. And if Holland embeds well, it's not going to get much worse than what you're looking at right now, uh, you know, by early September, mid-September. And if he doesn't embed well, but you're confident that he's going to and they're going to be able to you know, continue to outlast Liverpool over the course of the long campaign, you're going to get better odds. You might get down to, you know, uh, 130, 120, whatever it might be. And so just wait. I don't think anything is going to happen to move these odds materially in the summer. I do think there could be some uh, solid shifts in the first four or five match days. And so just wait for those four or five match days and then lay your bet down. Either way, uh, if, unless, unless, with the one caveat, if you like a long shot, if you really like, think you have some insights and uh, Eric Ten Hag coming in and completely changing Manchester United around and you want to lay some money on that, now's the time to do that. But uh, if you want to bet one of the top two, you're better off doing it mid to late September versus now. Although I have to say the one thing I do like is the Holland under 22.5 goals uh, at plus 100. I kind of sort of like doing that because he's not going to take penalties and that alone might be making it grounds for taking the under on that right now. I would 100% take the under on that right now. Even taking the Lukaku factor out where he just might not fit the system right away and uh, things like that, they're not going to completely like anger their guys who have been great stewards for the club. Holland's not going to play every match. Mm-hmm. And so 22 and a half when he's going to have to face some rotation with that uh, overladen superstar squad is also a reason to take the under. And then third, you just have injury. Yeah, he like, has, he not, can, pro- he he has not proven to be healthy, which is another big thing with you know taking these bets that basically require like an 85th or 90th percentile season for them to hit. Like that's a big one is he has not proven to be able to play every match and city is going to be playing damn near the max amount of matches with the two domestic cups, the champions league, and then obviously the season. Yeah, I don't think Holland in any of the leagues he's ever played in has played anything like the Premier League winter break. Like, he's going to be heavily rotated if he even survives that long. Right. And Manchester City's not going to have any reason to rush him back because they have an embarrassment of attacking riches behind him. So I don't expect his minutes to be anywhere near what, you know, a normal guy who comes in with this level of hype would be. And if he does get injured, 
and it's like, okay, it's four to six weeks. Take It's going to be six weeks, not four, because they don't have any need to rush him back, given all the other resources they have. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, so I, lo- I love that under great pick, Brett. Uh, so shifting over to top four, obviously the City and Liverpool odds are outrageous. Minus 10,000 for Manchester City, minus 1,400 for Liverpool. But then it gets really interesting beyond that. So the typical four of the big six beyond uh, Manchester City and Liverpool all have pretty tight odds. You have Chelsea at minus 150, Manchester United at plus 120, Tottenham at plus 110, and Arsenal at plus 175. What jumped off the page when I looked at this was Manchester United's odds. Like, why do the betting markets think that they have just the same odds as Tottenham, who has a better manager, better attacking quality, and 150 million of fresh uh, funds to go spend to strengthen their squads and get Conti-level wingbacks into the system. Is this just because Manchester United is a heavily public team and the public is shifting these odds like it would for the Cowboys or Yankees or Lakers? Or do you actually believe that Manchester United will be back next season and it's just as likely as Tottenham to make the top four? I mean, I... I am just as confused as you because one of the things I've written down is United under 66.5 points uh, at minus 150 is a good bet. <laughs> so I think I think part of it might be it's just the wages. Wages have been so influential in predicting in predicting future success that I think a lot of that is just they're going to spend. And most of the time, unless you're Everton, when you spend money, you're at least a challenger for the top six. So you're right there. Um, and I, but it is hard to figure out because it's a really weird mismatch team. There's going to be a lot of departures, uh, you know, Juan Basaka, Eric Bae, those guys are pretty much going to get shown the boot out the door. Ronaldo's another year older. We've had, there's lots of debate how much he really helps that team at this point. Um, you know, Rashford seems to take a step back. Bruno Fernandez is kind of that floor raiser, but not a ceiling raiser type of player. Their midfield is terrible and Pog was about to leave. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm very confused because in a lot of ways, I think this team could be not worse, but as uninspiring as this year. Is is there anybody they could sign that would matter to you? Or is Ten Hog like your type of guy who you think is going to come in and have an immediate difference like a Conte would? It's- or are we just going to go through the same like – United nightmare that we had to slog through this year on the show. I mean, they'll be different. And I've read different things about Ten Hag as far as like his ability to be tactically flexible with stuff. Um, but I mean, it's, it's hard to evaluate him because he managed Ajax and Ajax have a massive, massive, massive financial advantage over the rest of the air division. And, and you know, I mean, yeah, like the IX was, they were good. And, you know, they have, you know, pretty strong pull, the 538 rankings, like the sixth best team in the world still. So, I mean, there's some stuff there. And, you know, a lot of tactic soccer seems to like Ten Hag. But, uh, I mean, again, this is a really broken team uh, with the really process. And there aren't players that, I mean, I mean, unless Robert Lewandowski is like, I'm going to come play for Manchester United. Um, I, I don't, and then then you still have to figure out him and Ronaldo anyway. So like, yeah, I, I don't know if they, they would have to land a world class midfielder. They would have to snake like Jude Bellingham, and Bellingham would have to transition flawlessly to the Premier League. Um, on top wow. of hitting a right back, United on, United's had wonderful success of bringing yeah, the players from, from the, the continent into the into yeah. the Premier League and having them in bed instantly. Like. 
I as a as a England supporter, I don't want Jude Bellingham going within a thousand miles of Manchester United. I'm nervous about being in Liverpool, just being that close to the city of Manchester. I mean, like they have ruined every talent they have signed from the continent in the last four or five years. Like until the Glazers sell the team and they break this curse and they turn around the juju and the fans start supporting them again, like anybody you like. I hope they sign anywhere else, like Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham, anybody you want to name, keep them out of the devils if you want to see them succeed. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so, too. I, I think part of the reason we see the dysfunction is, yeah, managers. And again, when you and I have, have had this conversation about managers, too, there are like six or seven that genuinely make a difference. And Ten Hag is not one of those guys that we can say for sure does that. And, and it's impossible to evaluate him in any other light because of the fact that he managed a team in a pretty weak league that was, is basically the Byron Munich of the air division in Ajax. They, they just lord over that league. So it's impossible. Like, yeah, it's great. They, you know, had crazy numbers domestically. Um, but it's really, really hard to tell if like the manager, if he's a guy that makes a difference and they would need a Conte S type manager. I think to me, to really feel like they're on the same playing field as Spurs. Ten Hag may be one of those managers, but he hasn't definitively shown us that he is one of those managers. So uh, any of those numbers you actually like, I mean, the only one I like just, and you can call me a homer, like Chelsea just finds a way to finish top four year after year because they have Tuchel, because they are going to have $200 million to spend, because they have a new owner who's not going to want to see them fall down and face the wrath of all the people that are going to you know, pine for Abramovich. Uh, I, I would take the minus 150, and I would take it now, because I think they're going to make some signings that moves that closer to even money before, uh, by the time we do our season preview in August. But well, how about you? Any of those four teams that I read out, would you actually lay money on right now? At the number they're posted. I mean, I like Chelsea too, just because Ben Chilwell is going to be healthy and he made a huge difference for him. Um, I, I think that their recruitment's going to be better. I think Connor Gallagher got some very valuable Premier League minutes. I think Kovacic is one of the best midfielders in the world. Um, I mean, and Golo Conte should probably only play more next season, I would think, because he barely played this one. Um, and I, you know, I think Tuchel's got another year to kind of figure out the attack. Um, I don't really think some of the center backs are going to be that massive of losses. Um, they could just change the system and probably be just fine. Um, yeah, so I do like Chelsea at minus fifty because I definitely do through that. I think that number is going to pricing is going to get way worse. So I do think like taking it now is probably better than later. Yeah. Uh, anybody outside of the big six that you're interested in at all? I mean, mm. people who have listened to the show know there's one team I'm interested in just at the number that's posted, and that's Newcastle, a plus 900, baby. <laughs> they are about to go bananas. I am sure that as soon as Bully gets in there, there will be a call up to the Scottish border to see if they're interested in one Romelu Lukaku uh, or anybody else that Chelsea's looking to get rid of. And I think that their phone lines are going to be lit up with high price, high salary talent available all over Europe that Newcastle could splash the castle. Whether it's a good idea or not, I don't know. Uh, but I do think that plus 900 number, if you believe in fresh cash coming in and buying your way to success, grab it now because I expect them to go crazy uh, by the time you hear our voices again. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to be spending money. Um, and Bruno Guimarães has been Awesome um, for them. I mean, he is going to be one of the best players in the Premier League by the looks of it by next year. 
Um, and they were really good. Colin Wilson came back and made them look like a completely different team the last couple of weeks. Um, so if they land a couple of other, you know, good attackers that give them a little bit of depth, better someone better than Almiron on the right wing. Well, well, not only that, Brett, though, I mean, they played Champions League level, like they got championship level results from January onward. I yeah. mean, like if you look at the January onward table, like they would have been fighting for top four. So they could, they don't need to replace all 11. Uh, as you've already pointed out, there's some bright spots, but even with the 11 they had, like they were extraordinarily competitive after they were able to plug a couple of really leaking holes and bring in a new manager. So I don't know, man. I mean, we could talk about, you know, some of the flaws that they have, but they still played extraordinarily well in the back half of the year or back half of the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if there was a bet for them to get into the European contention, I would love that to take that bet. But I still think like, if you look at the top four, there are some players that they just can't go out and get. They can't go out and get Kane. They can't go out and get Sun. There's never going to catch Liverpool and City in one year. And then even with even with Chelsea, like there's no Reese James coming through that door in Newcastle, right? Um, so I mean, I, I think that they're they will be there. They will be. They will make this a big six, big seven at some point, I'm sure. Um, but right now, they're too far behind to probably make Europa League. Beating beating out United for a Europa League spot. Oh, I would take that bet. Yeah, that's a fun head-to-head right now. I don't know if anybody's posted it anywhere, but if you give me Newcastle versus Manchester United head-to-head, and I'm getting plus 200 on Newcastle all day long. Absolutely. Um, All right, uh, look, we've been here a really long time. Uh, Those of you, uh, I guess you can't take my advice if you hear this. Like, You can save the back half of this episode for the summer, you know, when you're pining for some covered in glory action. Not that much is going to change in the next couple of weeks, but let's go ahead and wrap it up really fast because I don't have a lot of opinion on relegation, Brett. Uh, when you look at the relegation odds, is there anything that jump out to you as something that you would bet now versus wait until August? Wolves at plus 550 because Jorge Mendes is going to move Pedro Neto on at some point, maybe this summer, maybe in January. That team was really, really bad. We talked about their black magic. The odds of Jose saw uh, having the same type of year this season they did, uh, or next season they did this season, are almost nil. Um, and if Neto moves, there are only so many 17-year-old Portuguese strikers that are Jorge Mendes clients that can come in and replace them and actually be good. Um, so I think if they strip themselves of their best attacker, we had a relegation level team in Wolves and they are plus 550 and Fulham is going to be good. Fulham is going to be Marco Silva was as in hindsight has proven to be a pretty decent premier league manager. Mitrovic was already a proven premier league goal scorer and he lit up the championship last year. They have a lot of guys that have played a ton of premier league minutes. They're going to spend a little bit of money. Like they're going to be one of the teams that will probably stay up and Wolves are going to be one of the, the, I guess, constants that have been up here for a few years now that are going to be dragging into that fight. So I really like them at yeah, plus 550. The, the odds I'm looking at don't have the reverse. Uh, Fulham's plus 120 to go down. That probably makes them, what, minus 130, 140 to stay up, somewhere in that range. I would take them to stay up. I don't expect them to yo-yo again this time. I I would back that right now for them uh, to survive next year. And then you hold that ticket all year. And the, le- the league's more fun when Fulham's in it. I mean, Craven Cottage is a treasure. Uh, the one number that surprised me was Brentford at plus two seventy five. Like, I mean, I that's probably all I've Christian missed... Erickson related. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it has honesty, to be, like, right? Yeah, they they were they were 
they were trending towards the relegation fight until they made that signing. And then they played like a top six team with him on board. Um, I, I think that, or they're just too smart. They're run too well. Well, as long as they don't have a lead that's meltdown with a lot of their best players, not playing, I think Brentford's going to be fine. They're just too well run. Uh, yeah. The, my version of the wolves is crystal palace at plus 400. That is the only one I would consider. Now they lose their best player and our Lord and savior returning and ascending back to Chelsea. <laughs> I can see Zaha moving on. And if you move those two pieces on, like, I don't know if they have the funds to replace them and they've been, you know, kind of on the relegation bubble uh, a lot since uh, coming back into the premier league. Um, finally, just to get one last shot in you before we leave Everton's plus 600. If, if, Frankie Lampard stays there. Not the worst number in the world. Yeah, Sean, uh, Sean Dyche will be manager by January. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Um, we have loved doing the show. I've loved doing it with Brett. I've loved doing it and uh, interacting with all of you all. I never podcasted before this, and you guys have been overly kind uh, as I kind of get my feet wet into the space. I hope you have enjoyed the show, and we will see you in August. Uh, it's a long summer, but just like we talked about when we were talking about becoming a football fan, the summer is actually you know, some of the funnest part of being a fan with the crazy transfer rumors, all the action that happens, players recruiting each other, nonstop rumors. And because of the World Cup, we don't have to wait that long uh, because the World Cup is going to be off season. They're actually starting the Premier League a little bit earlier than they typically would. So we will be back uh, end of July, early August to do this again with all of you. Until then, you're going to have to go and find somewhere else for our usual interchange of uh, terrible advice backed by expert analysis. Talk to you later, folks. Take care, y'all. See you in August.